This is Truth, Justice, and Hope, the podcast that explores the modern era of Superman and Superman-related comics. I'm Grant Richter, and this is episode 19. Truth and justice, my friends, and welcome back to the show. And this is a very special episode of the show because not only is it the first weekly episode of the show, but it is also the first episode where I will be going back and forth between where we are in the Rebirth era on all the previous episodes and to current releases of Superman-related comic books. And we are going to begin with Batman Superman World's Finest number one, which just came out this past week. And this is not something I will do every episode. It'll be every other episode at the most. Um, It will probably be even less than that, um, at least for the next few weeks, because I don't want to jump in to any of the Superman books mid-story. So I'm not going to be uh, covering the new issue of Action Comics that just came out that's continuing the World World Saga. Um, But I probably, it'll probably be okay to jump onto Superman Son of Kal-El because of the nature of how uh, Tom Taylor is telling those, uh, the little mini arcs that are connected by the larger subplot arc over in that book. And... See, uh, Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow is all wrapped up. And um, I think, yeah, I'm not ready to, I don't want to touch the Justice League title until after the whole thing with Dark Crisis and all that. I want to see where everything is going to go. You know, plus, there, uh, Bendis is deep, deep, deep into a story arc over there that I have not been following very closely. So we're just going to stick with World's Finest for now, but we will be folding more titles into this back and forth segment of the show. And I'm trying to figure out what to call it. Like over on on the Snickcast, Jason, he normally covers the current titles, but then when he covers old stuff, he calls them flashback episodes. These are kind of like flash currents. (laughs) I don't know. I thought about, you know, it's not Man of Tomorrow, because that would in, imply that I'm reading stuff farther in the future. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to call these, I'll, but I'm just going to kind of leave it open-ended for now. But I am very excited to talk about this issue. It's very good. Uh, but first, as always, I have some thoughts from here at the Fortress of Solitude. And just a warning, um, I've been wanting to talk about this for a while, and my thoughts on it are kind of complicated uh, it's not politics this episode, um, so if it is kind of meandering, just bear with me. I, I promise it gets to a point. But anyway, uh, recently my wife bought me a pair of Superman pajama pants, and they're all black, and they have a Superman you know, uh, House of L S shield 
symbol on the left leg, and they're very simple, and you know they look like you know they could be sweatpants or yoga pants or whatever. And I wear them around the house all day long. I sleep in them and I do yoga in them, and you know they're great. I love them. But what I like about them best is the fact that my wife got me these pants spontaneously. I have a list of things I would like to eventually get myself on Amazon because what I usually do when it comes time to like birthdays and Father's Day and Christmas, I don't, my, my wife is not a geeky person. She likes Star Trek and uh, that's about it. That's about the extent of her geekiness. She likes Star Trek. And so I don't want to say, hey, I, I really want you to get me this McFarlane figure or I really want a Superman shirt, whatever. I was like, well, I'll just pick out my own thing or like here's three things from my list. Just pick one and I'll be happy with whatever you give me. But she got me this completely spontaneously, which is a big deal to me because she doesn't do things like that with my with my fandom, not because she doesn't. Isn't tolerant of it or doesn't isn't supportive, but she's very skeptical of my fandom a lot, and I don't blame her, because up until I discovered my Superman fandom, I was very flighty, with the I'm I'm 47 years old and I refuse to say I stand anything, but that is the gist of it. I, I my obsession with a particular character was usually not very long lasting, and like just from 2015 when I retired early. From my old job, I obsessed about uh, the Vision, Swamp Thing, Wolverine, um, Thor, Doctor Strange, Ant Man, um, Cable, <laughs> the Vision again, Captain America, um, Cable again. Um, uh, Kyle Rayner, and then finally landing on Superman. And I've done that since I was a little kid, right? And so usually I'll, before I discovered my Superman fandom, I would latch on to a character for from a few weeks to about three months at most until the excitement of having a new thing to, to focus on wore off and it didn't stimulate the happy parts of my brain anymore and I'd move on and look for something else. And so anytime I would get excited about a new character, my wife would go, oh, okay, yeah, sure. We'll see you in three months. And sometimes it lasts six months, like it did with Cable and like it did with Captain America. And uh, that's why I had podcasts about those two characters. But usually that's about six months. So when six months came and went in the summer of last year, because I discovered my Superman fandom in, excuse me, in December of 2020, she was like, huh. Okay, well, we'll see. And then when Christmas came and went this past year where I got a Superman shirt and I got a Superman hat and I ordered myself um, some old Justice League figures with some Christmas money I got, my wife was like, oh, okay, I, I, maybe. And then, you know, as, as you know, the, the weeks went on, she's like, okay, I acknowledge that you are, this may be a long-lasting thing for you. And she spontaneously got me my Superman pants, which I love and which I very much appreciate. And the fact that she did this spontaneously kind of acknowledges it, her acknowledging my Superman fandom finally, which is really nice. And like I said, I've always been like this, or I, I always was like this for a very, very long time. And a lot of it, I think, 
and kind of the self-examination that I've done. And I've done this since I was a little kid. Like I was, I would, uh, I was constantly going, I need a new, I need a favorite superhero. I need a favorite superhero. I have always needed to have a favorite superhero since I was like seven. And I was always searching for a new character to be my favorite superhero. And even when I got to the point where none of them really met what I was looking for, I would start making up ones and kind of playing out those adventures in my head. And none of them really ever, st or really ever stuck because it was always more about what the character looked like or what they could do or what their powers were, or what their costume looked like and stuff like that. And I think it was because of who Superman is, is what finally made me stick with Superman. You know, the, the goodness, the altruism, the selflessness, the compassion, all that is something that I could latch onto in a sustainable emotional way. And um, I, and I, I wish, this, I constantly regret not having liked Superman as a kid. Um, especially in my, like, say, elementary years from 1980. I, I started elementary school in the fall of 1979, so I would say 1980 to 1985, right? But the, unfortunately, that's not an era of Superman books that I particularly like. So on one sense, I kind of don't blame myself for not having liked Superman in that era. Because if, if I had liked it, then when, when after Crisis on Infinite Earths, when DC rebooted Superman and John Burns, Man of Steel launched, even though that Burns stuff isn't something that I um, in a, am a big fan of, there are elements of it I like, there are story arcs in it I like, see my Patreon, um, kid me would have really, really liked it. The things that I don't like about it now are not things that 12-year-old me in the fall of 1986 or summer of 1986 would have picked up on and wouldn't have bothered me. And I had a couple issues of action comics from that era, but and I thought the art was amazing and I thought Superman looked really cool and I thought the stories were fine, but it was... I just because they were random pickups, there wasn't, it wasn't something I'd latched onto. And I'd like to think that if I liked those early 80s Superman books, then I would have probably picked up the superpower Superman figure and all the other Superman-related characters from Superman. Like, I wish from the first line that I had Superman, Wonder Woman, just because I also like Wonder Woman, Luthor, and Brainiac. Those are the only ones I really care about. And there's ones from the from the second and third waves that I wish I had as a kid. Um, the only one I really had that I really liked was Martian Manhunter, which is why I still like Martian Manhunter now. But you know, I, I probably would have gravitated more to those, and and that it's the anxiety that I had as a kid that I think kept me from really latching on to anything because um, I I my brain was constantly in a mild state of panic and so I could never really latch on to any one thing or do any kind of self-examination in any kind of meaningful way to make things really stick 
And I think if I'd had something that I could have, like right now, being a Superman fan grounds me tremendously. Because it's one less thing that my brain is having to worry about. Like I, I, I'm gonna be 100 years old and I'll still feel the need to have a favorite superhero and not having my brain go, oh man, I need a, I need a favorite superhero to latch onto. It gives my brain one less thing to, to worry about. And so I feel like if I'd had that grounding effect of Superman, not only because it gives, it's like, okay, great, now I've got a favorite superhero, but it's also kind of a, a moral and ethical direction and a, a thing to look up to when things aren't going well. I feel like my, my experiences in the late 80s, which were bad, um, would maybe have not been so mm, affecting as they, as they turned out to be that I'm still processing. And it, it might have been more of a uh, something that would help me gotten through hard spots. And so even though the left side of my brain knows there's nothing I can do about this, the right, the right side of my brain still feels compelled to go back and read a lot of early 80s Superman, which I've started doing recently, and finding stuff in it that I like. Like, for example, I'm reading some Justice League of America from the early 80s that's drawn by um, George Perez. And even though I don't love the writing in a lot of pre-crisis stuff, I enjoy, I really enjoy looking at Perez's art. And I like the team-ups in World's Finest, even though the stories are usually very silly. Um, because it's all, my right brain wants to kind of superimpose those experience of appreciating those comics on my seven, eight, and nine-year-old self. And again, even though I know my left brain knows this is impossible, it, my right brain feels like, well, here, I'm helping nine-year-old me prepare to go through some hard times in a way that might be uh, might be helpful and might be supportive. And that's all I really have to say about that. I hope that makes sense. If, if it doesn't, I'm sorry, but it was something I feel like I needed to talk about. So with all that said, let's go talk about some comics. Again, the first current release comic for this show is going to be Batman Superman World's Finest number one. It is written by Mark Wade. Dan Mora is the artist. Tamra, I'm probably going to say this wrong, Bonvillain or Bonvillain perhaps is the colors. Aditya Bidikar does the letters. Uh, Dan Mora also did the main covers. There's a ton of variants by Jim Lee, Scott Williams, Alex Sinclair, um, Stanley Law, Jason Fobach, uh, Fabok, uh, Brad Anderson, Chip Zdarsky, Doc Shanner, Lee Weeks, and Brad Anderson. I do not have any of those variant colors. I have the main cover, which is a collage-like image. Batman is in the foreground because, again, he does get top billing on this uh, comic and he is surrounded by smaller images of Dick Grayson as Robin, Alfred in the Batcave, Commissioner Gordon, 
Batwoman, Harvey Bullock, and I'm wondering if that is, um, I don't know, but there, there's somebody behind Bullock. It, this it's a little too small to tell. Superman is of roughly the same size, though slightly behind Batman, and he's surrounded by images of Lois, Jimmy, Perry, and Brainiac, and Brainiac's modern look, which I really like. Now, interestingly enough, in in the flow of Batman's, I'm sorry, in the flow of Superman's cape, we have images of Joker, Bane, and Scarecrow, but in the flow of Batman's cape, we have an image of his smirking Luthor, and then above Superman's right shoulder is an image of the Kent farm, and by his left shoulder is an image of Metropolis, and then Darkseid's face is kind of looming large in the sky above Metropolis, and it's a very cool looking, uh, very cool looking cover. So we open. Oh, there's also an ad for the continuation of Rom V's Swamp Thing comic, which is great because that is pretty much the only non-Superman book that I'm really been reading for the past year. Like the closest I've come to a non-Superman book is Blue and Gold, and I still kind of consider that somewhat tangentially Superman related because oh, excuse me, because it's written by Dan Jurgens. But uh yeah, uh Ron V's song thing is is awesome. So we open with a scene of Metropolis in the not too distant past, it says and huge vines are breaking up out of the ground and they're climbing up the side of the the Daily Planet building. And what's neat is there's a sound effect. This is rumble and there's like three, three M's and a very sharp B and two L's. And the way they're written, they almost look like teeth. So it looks like these, these vines almost have teeth that are digging into the side of the Planet building, which is pretty neat. And we see Jimmy and Lois inside the the planet. And I would say this is Jimmy's classic look, but I would also say it's more his modern look too, especially since the Jimmy Olsen miniseries that came out in, I think, 2019, where he has the green plaid jacket and the white button down with the red bow tie. And uh, Perry's telling everyone not to panic. Jimmy's saying the offices is clear. Um, Lois is saying, not everyone, Jimmy, where's Clark? Now, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll rewind that in a bit. I'm going to say this is before Superman and Lois were married in whatever version of the timeline this is, whether it's the, the pre-Flashpoint timeline or the reborn timeline or the post-death metal timeline where all timelines are one, which gives me a headache. But as she's saying, where's Clark, we see a red and blue and almost greenish blur swoosh by uh, the outside of the building. And we see Clark's shirt and tie go flying. And then we see where Poison Ivy is sitting on top of the, the ring that surrounds the globe on top of the planet building. And uh, she is dangling some little bits of plant life off of her fingers. And this is kind of the classic Poison Ivy look. This isn't Poison Ivy whose body is green and just wears like the tiniest little bit of plants covering up her bits. This is where she has the um, kind of the plant looking uh, 
uh, unitard with the green tights and the little Peter Pan shoes and kind of bits of vines wrapped around her forearms and trailing her upper arms and almost like a headband of plants. And she still has the auburn hair here. So this is classic poison ivy. So again, we're showing more visually to show that this is definitely sometime in the past. And Ivy saying, the green rejects your attempts to conquer it with your voracious urban sprawl metropolis. As with Gotham City, the green will prevail. At least it's sunnier here than back home. And she sees a cape flutter in the background and says, well, there you are. We, we were told this would draw you out super. But then she realizes it's actually Batman and Robin. And Dick's costume as Robin in this revised timeline looks really cool. It's a lot more similar to uh, Tim. It's like a combination of Dick Grayson's original Robin costume and Tim Drake's, where it still has the the red tunic with the with the straps across the the red the yellow straps and it has the green booties and the green trunks but it also has uh green leggings under the trunks and it's an all yellow cape with the uh, with the with the collar on top of the cape which is a nice touch and and uh ivy shouts out batman and dick says and robin hello I really like Mark Mark Wade's version of Dick Grayson, and uh, they're both swinging in, and it's neat that Robin's body language is more acrobatic than Batman's. Like Batman is swinging on his line; he's kind of holding it with his right hand, kind of out and down a little bit to where his hand is kind of parallel with his belt, and his body posture is very stiff. And Robbins is very fluid. It's almost Spider-Man-like in his body posture, the way he's swinging on his rope. And Batman says, we've been tracking you since you left Gotham City. I have no idea what you're doing in Metropolis, but trust me, you're out of your league here. And there's a cool shot of Superman floating in the sky. He's holding a little kid that looks like he's passed out. The kid has dropped a Superman doll. And Superman's vision is on. It's not the the laser beams heat vision. Is the what I think of as pyrokinesis heat vision, where his eyes are glowing red and the plants are just catching on fire around him as he's burning them away. And I actually posted this image up on Twitter uh, with my caption that uh, keeping kids safe is kind of the distilled essence of Superman for me. And you know, for those of you that have been listening to the show the last few episodes, you'll know that is is very much a stance that I that I highly believe in. But uh, Superman drops the kid off with his mom. She goes, Superman, and uh, <laughs> Superman goes flying back up uh, to the top of the tower building, and. Uh, and Superman's asking, this is one of yours, right? And Batman says, Pamela Isley, eco-terrorist. And Robin says, that's a little reductive, but okay. And I feel that Mark Wade is really channeling a lot of the energy that Tom Taylor has been putting into the Nightwing series with his uh, depiction of Batman's personality. And uh, also Mora is putting a lot of the athleticism and acrobatic feel that uh, Redondo is doing on the Nightwing series as well. So really good cohesion there, I must say. I don't follow the Batman or Batman-related titles very often, but I got to admit that the Nightwing 
title is is really really good and so um <laughs> and superman says your villain my turf who gets to take her in should we flip the coin and again uh robin with the with the wise with a wise mouthness is saying no no coin flipping please coin flipping bad you know referring of course to how uh two-face has targeted robin specifically and from off panel we see a voice with a very electronic looking uh dialogue bubble say i'd let your friend take care of my partner superman you're about to be otherwise engaged and we see rising up out of the plants is metallo and this is really uh just the perfect uh version of metallo those of you that are listening to the show for a while and those of you who subscribe to my Patreon know I'm not a huge fan of John Byrne's uh, Man of Steel or his initial run on Superman, but I do really like his version of Metallo from Superman number one and then uh, later on during the Brainiac trilogy and things like that, uh, where it's Metallo is a, a dude who was a brain in a mechanical body with a kryptonite heart, and that's it. And I feel like as we got into the early 90s of Superman comics, uh, Metallo really jumped the shark where they were constantly finding new ways to try to make him relevant, where he could hack into any other machinery and then he could grow, grow a gigantic body out of an aircraft carrier and stuff like that. And, and that's fun watching Superman smash giant robots. But honestly, I feel like Superman the animated series really saved Metallo as a concept where it just boiled him back down to that human brain, robot body, kryptonite heart. And that series also kind of um, made iconic that what I think of Terminator 2 look for Metallo, where at least a portion of his uh, the skin or the fake skin on his face has been ripped off, where you can see the metallic endoskeleton underneath and then you have the the chest opened up to show the kryptonite heart and this really does the same like the the face is half robotic and half organic and it looks like the flesh has been burned away where there's big pock marks in it and the chest is almost entirely robotic but just a little bit of skin left on the left side of the torso in the left shoulder and it's really good and he looks really intense his uh and not only is his the kryptonite glowing in his chest, but his right eye, which is just the robotic um, eye socket, is glowing green. And his left eye is just this look of anger and almost insanity. And this is great. This is a fantastic image of Metallo. And Superman immediately begins feeling the effects. He starts to fall out. Um... And um, Batman tells Superman to hold back, that he and Robin are going to take care of this. But Ivy says, uh, you know, he says, Robin and I have this. And Ivy says, do you now? And she does something with her fingers and more plants grow up out of the, the roof of the, of the planet around them. And, and ensnare the two of them as Metallo starts walking slowly towards Superman and 
I really like Metallo's dialogue here. He's saying, agonizing, isn't it? Muscles on fire, blood boiling, nerves screaming. Well, I envy you because at least you can still feel. Batman grabs him defoliant out of his out of his belt, kills off the plants that are ensnaring him. Um, Ivy kind of goes nuts and says, stop it, you're murdering the green. Uh, if you do that, I'll kill something dear to you. And she uses the plants to toss Robin off of the roof with his arms still bound. Metallo is still walking towards Superman. He's saying, my, my humanity has been taken, Superman. I am without tenderness, without kindness, without warmth. I can no longer love, nor want, nor care. Can you imagine what it's like to have your heart carved out by tragedy, forever wondering if all that can fill the emptiness is vengeance? And as he's saying these last two lines, we have a shot of Batman leaping off of the roof, pulling out his grappling hook gun, going to save Robin. So showing some obvious parallels between how Metallo feels and Batman's mission, yet at the, at the same time, showing that Batman's mission of vengeance and not extreme justice, but his own version of hard-boiled justice is tempered by his ability to care about those close to him. And what I think is fun about this is I used to read a series when I was in high school. It was a miniseries that came out in the late 80s and then a series of like one-shots that came out in the early 90s called Martial Law. And it was a comic that was intended to be a parody of, or at least a criticism of superhero comics, and also a commentary on how soldiers are treated when they come home from war. And it's about this guy who goes around hunting superheroes, and the superheroes in this world were soldiers who were enhanced by their government to go fight a war in South America, and then they came home. And, you know, they were kind of just turned loose. They, they weren't taken care of and they couldn't feel pain. And the, the inability to feel pain drove them all crazy and made them sadists and stuff. And it's a very dark series and it doesn't hold up well. But, you know, angry, you know, smart mouth, 17 year old me thought it was amazing. Um, but I am kind of reminded of that, that a lot of what drives Metallo is his inability to feel anything and how it's he was not a good person to begin with but his inability to feel has driven him to even darker uh, depths and so uh, Metallo reaches into a compartment inside his chest as he says I'd love to use green kryptonite for this next part but I'm too greedy I need it to live red kryptonite however and he pulls out the syringe and Clark's going no and Metallo says, random, unpredictable, each piece different, morphing, mangling, twisting your body uniquely. Now imagine a dozen pieces blended into a radioactive cocktail, and we see just a swirling mass of red inside the syringe. It reminds me of the, if you've ever seen John Carpenter's The, John Carpenter's the Thing from the early 80s, how they do the alien's blood in that when they put it in contact with fire, it just kind of leaps out and attacks everything around it. That's what the that's what the red kryptonite cocktail in uh, in the syringe says. So Batman has swung down on a bungee cord and snagged Robin as Metallo pulls the syringe over his head and he says, they call me the man with the kryptonite heart, Superman. Welcome to the club as he smashes 
this uh, stabs the syringe straight into Superman's heart, Pulp Fiction style. Batman and Robin swing back up on the roof. They knock out Poison Ivy, and Robin jumps at um, jumps at uh, Metallo, and he uses a bow staff. So yet another kind of blending of Dick Ro- uh, Dick Robin, <laughs> Dick Grayson's, and Tim Drake's uh, Robin identities, and he slams one end of the bow staff into Metallo's kryptonite heart, which I guess just kind of shuts him down. And from a rooftop overhead, we see a shadowy figure look down and say, excellent. Uh, Batman and Robin are going, what's happening to him? I don't know. Metallo stabbed him with whatever this is. And, and then Superman kind of explodes in a big burst of red energy. And back on the rooftop, we see there are now two shadowy figures. One of them says, now the fun begins. And the other one says, they have no idea what is in store. Now, one shadowy figure is just kind of generic guy, regular person shaped. The other one is larger and has a pair of curling horns coming out the top of his head. And these look like living shadows. It's like they're not just shadowy figures, or at least one of them. The, the one with horns appears to be a living shadow on the wall of the building. Now, I have hinted about this on Twitter. I'm wondering if this figure with horns, these big curling horns on the side of its, on top of his head, is supposed to be Magog or a version of Magog from Kingdom Come and from Jeff Johns's. Uh, mid-late 2000s Justice Society of America series from Wade's uh, The Kingdom miniseries from the late 90s. Because and what, makes think, what makes me think this is, one, Magog, in pretty much every version, has a grudge against Superman, and two, it is a character that Wade has written repeatedly. So it might not be. It may be somebody like Satanus, which is very possible. But I kind of hope it's somehow a version of Magog, and that would be really cool. And plus, those of you that have listened to my other podcast before know that I think Magog is a really interesting character as well, because what he was supposed to be a, not a parody, but a a criticism of from early 90s comics. So anyway, within this flashback to an earlier time, we get yet another flashback. It says, Gotham City years before the attack. And we see uh, Alfred and Robin in the Batcave. And they are uh, taught, and Batman is communicating with Superman, who is in Metropolis. And uh, Superman is saying over his communicator, he'd never have guessed the Penguin would go that far. Batman says, that's because you're incapable of thinking like a criminal. And Batman gives Superman uh, directions. He's saying uh, it's a site on a neighborhood on the east side docks. They, get, they narrow it down to a specific building. Superman is there. He is taking off his Clark Kent disguise. And Superman says, you know, it's a trap. And Batman says, yes, it's a trap for me. And Superman says he'll be right there. So we go within this foundry where Batman has tracked the penguin and the penguin is holding Robin's utility belt. And this is a younger Dick Grayson. He's supposed to look like maybe he's 13. 
He is in the very classic Robin costume with the shorts now. And uh, Robin is dangling uh, from his feet over a vat of molten metal. And Robin's saying, you're in big trouble, dude. And, um, you know, Penguin is gloating and saying how, how he's tonight, he's not a bird. He's the worm on the hook. He's bait. And, and, uh, and Robin's saying, well, what's the deal with your bug-eyed buddies? And we see that the Penguin has teamed up with the Weaponeers of Cord, who are usually Green Lantern villains. And uh, Penguin is saying that uh, Luthor introduced the Penguin to the Weaponeers because they are willing to trade the their advanced weaponry for some of Earth's resources, which the Penguin is happy to accommodate with him with. And from up in the rafters, we see what appears to be Batman. We see his cape. We see his cowl. We see, he says, looking for me, Penguin. And um, the Penguin shouts, Batman, open fire. And the weapon ears open fire. And it was just Superman hovering in the rafters, wearing one of Batman's spare capes and cowls. And in classic style, Superman smiles down and says, it tickles. And he asked Batman, did you buy did that buy you the time you need? And we see that Batman has used the distraction to free Robin. And the three of them very quickly make short work of Penguin and the Weaponeers. And there is a scene where one of the Weaponeers is about to catch Batman off guard as he is tying up the Penguin. But Superman flies in and takes the brunt of the lightning bolt blast that the Weaponeer is throwing at Batman and then free, uh, freezes the Weaponeers with his super breath. And the three of them stand around for a moment. Superman asks if you're okay. And Batman, in a very clear departure from how the early Batman-Superman relationship was depicted post-crisis, Batman says, I'm fine, and thank you, Superman. I realize we don't know one another all that well, but you really had my back today. And Superman says, it was my honor. You do the same for me, right? And as they shake hands, Batman says, always. And I really like that. I don't like it when Batman is a jerk and says, I could have handled this on my own, but I guess you did okay. That's my Batman voice. Um, that really, this is asinine, in my opinion. And I know they continued that into the um, the uh, Tim the Bruce Tim animated universe. I always get his name flip flop because I used to work with a guy named Tim Bruce, so the Bruce Tim animated universe. Um, but uh, you know, I, I like it when they get along very quickly from the get go. And so we back we flash forward to the initial flashback the the not-too-distant past, back on top of the roof of the um, of the Daily Planet building. And there's a cool, just one, two, three, four, five, there's like a six-panel recap of everything that happened before the flashback, which is really neat. It's the plants, and then the plant, you know, coming out of the ground, and the plants crawling up the side of the planet building, and ivy on top of the ring, and then Superman, Batman, and Robin moving into action, and... Uh, Metallo attacking Superman as Ivy distracts Batman and Robin. And Robin is saying Superman's burning up. Uh, Batman is telling Robin to go evacuate the building. 
um, we see very quickly where Batman says the pain has stopped. Superman, are you okay? And then like Superman explodes again and we see the entirety of his skeleton and just this huge thing of red energy coming off of him. Um, Lois and Jimmy run up on the building. They're asking what's happened. Robin shows them the red kryptonite cocktail blend. And we see where uh, on and off Superman's body is pulsing with energy. And every time it pulses, we can see his, his skeleton. And we see, there's a really kind of intense scene where he's his we can see through his skin and he's staring at his own hand, but we can still see his eyes and his eyes look like they're in absolute fear and shock. And Lois is saying, there must be something we can do. And uh, Robin's saying, we're out of luck unless you know, unless you just happen to know a doctor who specializes in freakish transformations. And Batman goes, Oh, okay. Back computer patch me through to before you can finish that thought though, Superman panics and he f- smashes up through the globe on top of the planet to get away. Batman sends Robin to chase. We, there's a really cool shot of Robin swinging through the city. And uh, Robin saying, follow him, he says, to the hero who can't fly. Oh, but then Superman almost hits a helicopter. Um, he sends it wobbling. One of the people in the helicopter falls out and rab- Robin grabs him and swings him down to safety. Jimmy finds Superman later uh, uh, amid some rubble that he's apparently smashed into. And Jimmy's saying, Superman, tell me how I can help. And Superman's saying, pain won't stop changing, Jimmy. I, and Jimmy says, what do you want me to do? Can I call Supergirl? And he says, no, I can't risk infecting her too. Which takes me back to the issue of Supergirl that we read um, actually, it'd probably be the rebirth issue, um, or the number zero, where Supergirl's dad put Lar on in the Phantom Zone to stop a kryptonite infection from spreading. So that makes me think, and I, by in no means, am I an expert on all things Superman, but I wonder if red kryptonite poisoning can spread from Kryptonian to Kryptonian. Maybe they get irradiated with it, and then their body acts like kind of a lesser red kryptonite battery, which makes sense. But then we see Superman's body completely transforms into metal, and he's this statue standing there kneeling down with his arms raised up and the fingers clenched. And Jimmy says, my God, he's literally a man of steel. But then off from the side, we see a another electronic word bubble say, hey, that's my gig. And we see where the Doom Patrol is now on the scene. And that is a robot man talking. And uh, I think we are leaning more into the Doom Patrol show now because we have a robot man, Elastigirl, and Negative Man. So less of the characters who did not make it onto the show kind of thing. Definitely pointing to what people who aren't maybe regular comic readers or deep divers or people who are longtime Doom Patrol fans who at least would know these characters from the show. And uh, 
uh, Elastigirl reaches down and picks up Superman in his statue form and says, careful now, Niles wants him back in one piece. And Robin says, what the hell? And Batman says, you called it. There is a doctor, Niles Calder, who specializes in bizarre transformations. These are some of his patients. And he introduces Robot Man, Elastigirl, and Negative Man, respectively, and briefly describes their powers. But then Superman has another pulse of energy. The, the metallic form disappears, but now he is having violent hallucinations. And he thinks that Elastigirl is Zod and attacks her. She manages to dodge out of the way before he pretty, probably would have taken her head off. And he is just smashing up the city. Um, let's see. Um, the As the Doom Patrol tries to reason with him, he, uh, he imagines them as Zod, Ursa, and Nan. He says three against one. That's a coward's move. Uh, Negative Man manages to save Robot Man right before he smashed to bits. And uh, as uh, Batman goes, right before Batman goes to distract Superman, he has a brief talk with Negative Man. And he swings off. He tries to reason with Superman. Superman imagines him as Luthor in his power armor. Um, and we see where Superman has Batman lifted up by the neck. And he says, I'm not falling for any of your, any of your tricks, you diseased maniac. And Batman says, no tricks. Think, does Luthor know your name, your real name too? No, but Bruce Wayne does. And he's trying to connect with Superman, that they know each other's secret identity. And super, But Superman is so almost so far gone with his hallucination that he's not listening. And when Batman says, I'm trying to save you, Clark, I have your back always doing a callback to the earlier flashback. That's when Superman realizes what he's doing. He puts Superman down. He says, what have I done? Um, and then the, the energy pulse begins again. We see him kneeling down, holding his hands over his face, very much reminiscent of a couple scenes from Superman and Lois where both uh, Clark and Jordan have been trying to hold back their heat visions as they grow out of control. Um, he is, his powers are amplified to where he can't, can't control them. Just from where he's kneeling down, he's vibrating at such a speed that he is starting to crack the pavement. But then Negative Man swoops in and hovers near Superman and Batman says, negative man is more than just a sentient radio wave. He's controlled radiation. If trainer concentrates, negative man can shift up and down the electromagnetic spectrum. He can emulate microwaves, x-rays, and if this works, the radiation of a red sun. And we see where it does. And Superman passes out. Later, we go to Calder Mansion in Midway City. I did not know that the mansion was supposed to be in Midway City. That's interesting. And now we see where Superman, laying on a gurney, has transformed into a crystalline, crystalline form. Uh, Batman has taken the syringe that has the red kryptonite cocktail. And, uh, Lois, and he's saying, Lois said she found some shapes on the Daily Planet rooftop that matched the one on this syringe. And I can't really see what the symbol is supposed to be. I think that's intentional. 
Um, there is some kind of white symbol on it. And I'm going to flip back a few pages to where uh, Metallo gets it out the first time and see if I can zoom in and see it a little better. Um, I, I don't know what that's supposed to be. And I, again, I think that's intentional. It looks like it's a shape. It almost looks like a like a demonic mouth with two horns growing out of it. It's a white symbol on the side of the uh, on the syringe. You know, which makes me wonder, you know, if I am probably wrong about the Magog thing. It probably is supposed to be somebody like Satanus because it does look kind of like a demonic sigil or something. But who knows? I guess we will find out. But let me get back to where I was. Okay. And so um, Elastigirl calls them into another room where, uh, where Niles Calder, the chief, has several green glowing surgical instruments laid out. And uh, Elastigirl says, the doctor will see you now. And Robin's looking at Batman going, are you out of your mind? With the implication that the chief is about to operate on Superman with kryptonite, with green kryptonite irradiated surgical tools, which is pretty intense. Now, this is a really fun issue. I love Wade's writing in general. I always have. I'm I'm not a huge Flash fan, but even notwithstanding, his his uh, work on the Flash in the '90s is really good. I love Kingdom Come. I love his work on Captain America, both in the late '90s and from just a few years ago. You know, all around, his his work is phenomenal. I cannot wait until next month when issue two of this comes out. Now, as I said earlier, I am not going to cover every uh, new Superman-related release that hits the shelves. Um, part of which, uh, part of which, is because I don't want to start something in the middle of a story arc. So I'm not going to be covering Action Comics yet until the War World War World Saga ends and um, they start a new story arc on that. Um, I think it'd be safe to jump into Son of Kal-El um, when the next issue comes out because that seems to be less six-issue story arcs as um, they seem to be two-part stories that have an underlying thread connecting them all. Kind of reminds me of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You know, each, each, ish, each episode of the show was fairly standalone, but there was a running subplot that connected them all. And so I think it would be okay to jump into Son of Kal-El starting with the next episode. But then I also recognize that they are doing the death of the Justice League and whatever new dark crisis or whatever the thing is called. So it might be that, you know, Clark is gone from continuity for a while and we're just be focusing on John. That's okay. I prefer Clark to John, but I think John is a ton of fun too. So we will see what happens in the, in the near future. Um, I'm assuming if you listen to this whole thing, you've already read this issue of the comic. Um, if not, I'm sorry about the spoilers, but I hope it inspired you to go pick it up and to read it yourself because it is really, really good. So I'm going to go take a quick break and I will be back to wrap everything up from this relatively short episode. And that does it for episode 19 of the Truth, Justice, and Hope podcast. I really hope you guys enjoyed me talking about this issue. It was a blast to read. 
I cannot wait for the next episode to come or the next issue to come out. Um, in the meantime, um, I would invite you if you like the show and if you'd like to support it to check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash truth, justice, and hope. I recently put out the third patron exclusive episode where I talked about the first half of Superman in Exile story. I am in the process of working on part two right now, and that should be out within about a week or so. If you are not already a patron, I would invite you to sign up for a a small fee a month and you can check out all that content and it's a lot of fun. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at about Superman. I post there very frequently, several times a day, and I always have all kinds of Superman thoughts and, and tweets and, and images and, and all kinds of stuff. Um, so I also share my thoughts on politics there sometimes. So, you know, <laughs> so beware, but yeah, it's a, it's a good time. You should check it out. Um, I would also love it if you guys would give me a five-star review wherever it is that you are listening to the show and really helps it out gets us higher in the, in the, uh, social, social media stuff, not social media, search engine optimization and makes it a little higher. So next episode, I'm actually going to talk about three comics. I'm going to talk about, excuse me, Justice League number four, cover dated September 7th of 2016. Excuse me. And also Action Comics number 963 and New Superman number three from September 14th of that year. And I, I think that discussion of Justice League four is going to be very brief I'm going to keep covering it just because it is a Superman-related book, but I am really not enjoying it. So that is just, I'm just going to be skimming the highlights off of that one. And I hate to say it, but I'm probably going to do that for the rest of that series until it, I think it wraps up around the time of uh, Dark Knight's Metal. And I will be back next week for that. But until then... Remember to fight fear at every turn with an open mind and an open heart. Love you.